Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Brian Tracy once said, The greatest gift that you can give to others is the gift of unconditional love and acceptance. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And you might say that ours is a long-term approach as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 19 years. And I'm Jonathan, and that long-term approach uh, has different perspectives in three ways, godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our... 976th broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years. And we figured it was time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. We thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, website messages, our chat board, and so forth. So let's get started. Jonathan, what is the subject matter uh, for today? Well, Rick, the question is, does God accept us as we are? And our theme text is found in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So it's the question again, does God accept us as we are? And have you noticed how easy it is to offend people these days? There seems to be such an overt need to accept and to be accepted that we go overboard with the correctness of our words and behavior lest we hurt anyone's feelings at any time. Now, being accepting of others is a good thing, but is it the most important thing? Should we willingly lay all other principles and standards upon the altar of mutual acceptance? Are we compelled to accept the world the way it is without regard to the good that we have gleaned from the way that it was? How did Jesus do it? He certainly spent time with sinners, the sinners of his day, but was it at the cost of higher principles? Did Jesus actually hang out with sinners? Was his time with them to make them feel good or accepted? And what about God? What is God's role in all of this? If we want a relationship with God, Does he accept us as we are, or is there more to it? So, Jonathan, this admittedly is a very loaded question. It really is. (laughs) And as always, it's our objective with each subject we choose to approach it in a biblical and very relevant, practical way. We search out the original context of the scriptures that we cite, find their true meaning, and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day to give you something to really think about. So once again, our question for today, does God accept us as we are? Be great to say yes, and then everybody walks off happily, but the question is, is that the way it is? So let's begin. Let's begin by looking into the context. That's one of my favorite words. Oh, it is, Rick. <laughs> the context of our theme scripture, as it prevents such an inviting relief for our lives. So we're looking at the context of Matthew eleven twenty eight with Jonathan, which you read, Jonathan, as our theme text. We're going to start with Matthew uh, 11, uh, verse 25. Let's start there. 
At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Okay, so so what, what things? Jesus had just exposed the pride of three cities of his time. Okay, so... That's, these, these were the cities that miracles were done, and they rejected God working through Jesus to perform them, right? Right, right. So let's actually read Matthew eleven twenty. Go back a little bit further in the context, because it's going to verify what you just said. Then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done, because they did not repent. Okay, so here's the thing. He uh, had these three cities that, that he was very— um, very uh, prolific in, in terms of doing things that were so completely out of the ordinary. And these three cities, I think it was Tyre, Sidon, and Capernaum, uh, these three cities just rejected him. They, they, didn't, they didn't accept him, even though he showed them great works of God. So he put his own ministry here and into its proper context based on history and prophets, because he compared those three cities to cities in the past. And his point of that was, if the miracles have been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, it was one of the comparisons. Right, that's right. Then they would have been in existence to this day. That's how serious their rejection of him was. So, and, and you know, a deeper study of this really helps you to appreciate what, what Jesus was doing in terms of comparison here. But, you know, again, establishing the context because it presents an inviting relief, as we, as we said earlier. So let's continue now. Matthew 11, he's talking about those cities that rejected him. And what's his response to that? Matthew 11, verses 26 and 27. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handled, handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So Jesus, and, and it's interesting, in verse 26, he said, Father, for, it was, for this way it was well-pleasing in your sight. And you think about that for a second, and what Jesus is doing is he's showing this acquiescence to the will of God. He could have thought, maybe I should have done more miracles. He could have thought, well, maybe if I had approached it a different way. But his response was, Father, it, this way was well-pleasing in your sight. I'm good with it because you're good with it. And there's a powerful, and this is off subject for a second, Jonathan, but, but I want to say this because this scripture, yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight, was the very favorite scripture of my Uncle Steve. Now, he died like 17 years ago, but he played this major role in me growing up as a Christian. And his attitude and his scriptural knowledge were astounding. Uh, he was a man who never got mad. And I mean, never got mad. After he died, I talked to his, his wife, his children, and I said, tell me, you know, because I, I had never seen him raise his voice. And I would mm -hmm. say to them, tell me when, you know, when your dad ever raised your voice. And looked at me like this, said, oh, never. And I talked to his wife, who, you know, they were married for, I don't know, 40 or 50 years, whatever. I said, so tell me, did he ever raise his voice? She said, never, never. And he, think, and he had that attitude of, look, it's well-pleasing in, in God's sight so I can manage it. And I think, off, off. What, an, what an attitude. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 you know, and I think that if we come back to that as we answer this question, does God accept us as we are, there's going to be a very big lesson in that. Okay, so we'll, we'll come back around to that story. Um, 
So, you know, we just left off where Jesus is saying now, look, Father, I know that only through me can people come to you. He says, if you draw them, I can bring them there. I can introduce them to you, but I'm the conduit. I'm the in-between here for God's grace to be able to be generated into a bound. Now we come to verses, Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, and these verses, Jonathan, are probably some of the most quoted verses in all of the New Testament. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay. So, and this, he's able to say, come to me, all you, are, all you who are weary and heavy laden, because of the previous points. He, he set the groundwork to say to them, it's okay in the Father's sight if things don't seem to be going just fine on the outside. Those of you, individuals, and see, that's the interesting thing. He was talking about the cities and casting judgment on these cities. And he's saying, but those of you, individuals, who are weary and are heavy laden, you can come to me and I can give you rest. So if you want rest from the weariness of the burdens of life, what's the answer? Come to Jesus. That's right. To be yoked with Jesus is to be joined with him in his work. And let, let's pause there for a minute. You know, the idea of my yoke is easy. What's, what's a yoke? Not, not the thing in the middle of an egg, but what's a yoke? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, in olden days when you had two cattle that were yoked, locked together to pull the plow, they worked together. It was hard work. One probably couldn't do it. So that was a teamwork effort uh, to do the job. And it was important in the Old Testament, it was important that two different kinds of animals would not be yoked together. Oh, that would not work. Right. And, and God actually stated that, saying you have, to, you have to combine two animals that can be well, like you said, well teamed up, if you will, because they are literally bound together. And so when you are yoked with Jesus, the idea of being bound together with him, and now look, there's no equality there, right? <laughs> no. Son of God, <laughs> us, no. no. <laughs> so, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, you ever do a three-legged race? Yeah. Okay. And, you know, I, I remember years ago back at, at one of the youth camps, we, we had this th three-legged race, and there was this one bigger kid who was teamed up with a little girl. Oh, no. And, and we did that on purpose to see what would happen. And so they had their leg together, and he's whispering to her before they start. And... So when they say go, she grabs a hold of his leg and he just carries her, you know, with her tied to his leg and they win the race. <laughs> That's what it's like to be yoked with Jesus. Hang on, go for the ride. Okay. I, I'm, I'm digressing a lot. I got I I, I to focus. But so, you know, his yoke is easy. It's bearable. You can get the work done if you're teamed up with Jesus. And, then, and the burden of Jesus is the task that comes with us while joined with him. So Jesus is saying both the yoke and the burden are bearable and will bring rest. And when you think about being yoked up, that's not a restful thing. No, it's work. <laughs> but there's rest in Jesus. And so, again, when you say, does God accept us as we are, wouldn't you want to be in this position where you can be yoked up with Jesus and find rest and find, uh, you know, that, that in internal peace inside your hearts? Rick, uh, I was thinking when the Lord called me 
I can't believe he would accept me for the kind of shape I was in. <laughs> I was miserable, worldly, and uh, just fallen uh, in so many ways. And just being humble enough to realize he's calling me and leading me and guiding me is is mind-boggling. It is. Uh, to me, it's like, wow, he accepted me for the scum that I was at the time. <laughs> but uh, by his grace, I, I'm growing and developing and changing. So now, again, the question is, did Jesus accept you as you were, or was there more to it? So we'll come back to that story of yours and see what, what, uh, what, what develops from it. But the interesting thing is, when he's giving us this, this peaceful invitation that's so inviting, you know, I am gentle and uh, humble in heart, you will find rest for your souls, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That phrase, you will find rest for your souls, is actually quoted from an Old Testament prophecy. And it's really kind of interesting to see what he's looking at to draw that phrase from. So let's go to that Old Testament prophecy um, in Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, and then we're going to go to uh, 15 and 16, or 14 to 16, I'm sorry. Behold, their ears are closed, and they cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord has become a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. For from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, Everyone is greedy for gain, and for the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. Okay, so, and, and actually we read verse 10 and verse 13. I, anyway, <laughs> but here, he, what he's saying is, Jeremiah is saying, their ears are closed. They can't listen. The word of God has become a reproach to them. You're thinking, whoa, who is this? This is bad. This is terrible. What's going on? They have no delight in God's word. Who is this? From the least to the greatest, they're all greedy for gain. Who is this already? And from the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. So there was great condemnation coming down upon the spiritual leadership of Israel at the time. Mm. They were heady egotistical, self-centered, and they were putting God's will and God's way behind. So, does God accept us as we are? Did God accept them as they were? Well, let's go a little bit further in these verses and find out. Verses 14 to 16 of Jeremiah 6, to get to that, you will find rest to your souls. How do you find rest to your souls in that condition? Here's the answer. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Were, were they ashamed because of the abomination they have done? They were not even ashamed at all. They did not even know how to blush. Okay, pause right there for a second, because that's giving further description of something gone very wrong in the sight of God. God is unhappy with the way those prophets and spiritual leaders were in Israel at that time. He is very unhappy. So how do you find rest for your souls? That's what comes next. Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. So basically he's saying, don't get involved in following that which is so far off track. Don't go down that road, even though those who are on the road are the ones that are seemingly the, the ones that, that are, are guiding you, that are teaching you, that are showing you the way. What the prophet Jeremiah was saying is, you know, 
danger, Will Robinson, danger, you know, <laughs> don't do that because it's not godly. So, you know, our first foray, if you will, into the question, does God accept us as we are, really is focusing on a little bit of Old Testament activity. Jesus quotes from that to say, you find rest for your souls when you seek the ancient paths, the good way, and you walk in it. And Jesus says, I'm the path. He says in another place, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he's saying, I represent what God originally put in place to find acceptability to God. So what's our first acceptance observation here? Well, Rick, it's God accepts those who seek him in ways acceptable to him. Okay, so he doesn't, it doesn't say God accepts those who seek him in ways that we find acceptable. No. Only in ways that are acceptable to him. And, and, and folks, that is such an important place for us to park our brains to begin this. Because that's what it said in the Old Testament. Now we have to test it. Does that hold true in the New Testament as well? So look, if we look at the world back then in Jesus' day, and now it is two totally different places. You're right, Rick. Jesus told Israel to go to him for rest instead of their leaders. How does that translate for us now? If you disagree with some of Rick and Jonathan's viewpoints, no matter your beliefs, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com or through our app by searching for Christian Questions in your app store. Our producers are feeding us your awesome comments and questions every week, so keep them coming. In this next CQ chapter, we're going 3D. Three viewpoints. Christian, secular, and neutral. Jonathan, it is important for us to understand that Jesus' audience was Israel and that their leadership had led them down very compromised paths of spiritual lethargy. In our time of global awareness here and now, we have to realize that, was, that what was once spiritual lethargy has now become spiritual cyanide. There's a difference between lethargy and cyanide. Lethargy, you're feeling kind of tired. Cyanide, you're dead. Poison. That's right. And we don't want to go down this path of spiritual cyanide. So how do we avoid that? How do we stay, or no, no, let, me, let me rephrase that. How do we become acceptable to God through Jesus? Well, I want to go to a very, very first verse of a very, very common song that you're probably all going to know and be ready to sing along with to begin to set the tone for how we get to what we think is so important here in terms of our acceptability to God through Christ. Strong. 
and you just want to keep going, okay? <laughs> yes, <laughs> Jesus loves me. We're going to come back to that because that, Jonathan, needs to be a recurring theme as we discuss this because this is a tough subject. Does God accept us as we are? Uh, there are a lot of Christian denominations that are going to vary on that question in terms of answer, and we're going to be very, very, very specific here in terms of our answer because we think it's, this is one of the most important questions for a Christian that we can possibly ask, and we're going to get very practical about it uh, and uh, get, go into that three-dimensional view. So, so the question now, how, how do we find the balanced truth between acceptance and change? Because you mentioned in your own life that you were shocked that God, through Jesus, would even look at you for the condition you were in. Yes, absolutely. But uh, on bended knee for three months, begging him for for help and giving me direction, um, he came through uh, with flying colors. So, and what, I'm sure, now I haven't asked you specifically, but I'm sure what drove that is you understood God's love through Christ. Yes. And so let's start with that, because that, God's love through Christ, has universal appeal to everyone. I I mean, you know, the idea that God is love and so forth is, is, is a resounding comfort to Christians, uh, you know, throughout the world. Let's go to the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and just we're going to be touching on this, a few verses of this chapter, segment by segment as we go through this. Let's start with 1 Corinthians 13, uh, uh, chapter 13, verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Okay, so... Now, the, the kind of love we're talking about here, Jonathan, let, let's take a moment. Let's describe what, what kind of love is this. Uh, Rick, this is that selfless love where you're giving without expecting anything in return. It's the, the highest form of love we, that we find in the New Testament. And, and we say it's the highest form of love because it, in, a, in some ways it's described as, as disinterested love. And that sounds so awkward. It does. How can you be disinterested? But the point is not interested for oneself, interested in the other being. And that's the kind of love that this is describing. So that benevolent love is patient, kind, not jealous, doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. And, you know, Jesus loves me. We just heard that little little song there. Jesus does love me. But does this mean he accept, accepts me as I am? Yeah. Okay, Jesus does love me, but to properly answer the acceptance question, we need to ask a second question. Yeah, this is a good one, Rick. How much do you love Jesus? And that's a really important question here, because if we want to be acceptable to God through Christ, it's great to say, yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. But the next question is, how much do you love Jesus? And we're going to get into this, Jonathan, then I want to go back to your own story uh, just to sort of supplement this because it fits so well here. So let's start with this, John chapter 14, verses 23 and 24, because Jesus is telling us how to show that we love him. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to me, him, and make an abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. 
And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So here's the thing. According to the words of Jesus himself, our selfless love towards Jesus is unequivocally expressed in keeping his words. All right, we next need to get some clarity on his words. We often look at his words of blessing and encouragement, and we're contented with his care for us. But I think we need to look even further. And Rick, we're all fallen and sinful. Only by God's grace could he accept us and call us. So if we have proof he has his care over us, is that it? Now that we believe, are, are we there? Are we okay now? Well, again, the question is, are we following Jesus' words? Because he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. We really need to be careful to define what that means. And we're going to really try to go through that very, very uh, uh, meticulously uh, throughout this podcast. But Jonathan, I want to take a left turn. You know, we, we said at the beginning of the segment, it's going to be a 3D approach. And we're going to drop in for a moment on the transgender world. Now, why are we doing that? Because transgenderism has risen in our, in our society very, very quickly and very, very emphatically. And transgenderism, one of the resounding messages is accept us. Accept me as I am. Accept me as I am. Don't argue with it. Don't judge it. Accept me as I am. And there's value in that. There certainly is value in that. There are also challenges with that, okay? And we need to be able to look at both sides of that. But with the, with the transgender approach, what's happened is our language is being redefined. Because, and, and you know, just, just to be very straightforward on this, it's not acceptable anymore to use he or she. They, they have developed a different set of pronouns for those individuals who don't feel like they fit into either of those categories. Let's just play a soundbite. And this came from a YouTube channel uh, called Cringe Planet. And, and, and look, let me, let me just give you full disclosure. They, they assemble things and kind of like, like make fun of them. That's not the point of this at all. The point of this is to try and understand the thinking of someone who sees it entirely differently than we do. So this young man is talking about uh, respecting pronouns. Let's just listen to the, the, the emphasis that he puts on this. Hey everybody, welcome back. This week I'm going to be talking to you about pronouns, sometimes preferred pronouns or preferred gender pronouns or PGPs. Um, whatever you call them, pronouns are the things we use to refer to people in the third person that aren't their names. They're also often used as the linguistic representation of people's gender identities. So, they're really important. Really, really, really important. So, with that in mind, the first and most important rule regarding pronouns is to respect people's pronouns. Always. There should be no questions. There are no exceptions. If someone says, this is the pronoun I want you to use to refer to me, that is the pronoun you will use to refer to them. Period. To do otherwise is offensive and invalidating and humiliating and at best awkward. So respect people's pronouns. So to do otherwise is offensive and invalidating. And, and, and the, the thought of it is you're damaging someone. 
and and look, look, this is a hard subject, and we're not going. This is not a discussion on transgenderism today. We will at some point in the future do a program built around that to really try to discover what goes on and a, a, a scripturally sound way to to approach it all. But for the sake of our conversation now, it really comes down to: so, do you accept people the way they are? And and again, Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us the way we are. Does he accept us the way we are? We've got to we got to we got to think about that because if you're trying to be a Christian, you got to think what's required of me. You're right, Rick. This is Christian Questions, your weekly live podcast to help you think about the Bible like you never have before. Talk to us at christianquestions.com. We want to hear from you. Uh chat our live uh message our live chat. Okay. So, uh we're talking about respecting the pronouns. There's a great quote here in terms of sort of self-development from Nathaniel Brandon. The first step towards change is awareness. The second step is acceptance. Okay, the first step toward change is awareness. And really, we want to begin to focus on the idea of change. Let's illustrate that through Jesus and his experience. Let's go to Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. This is his experience with that rich young ruler. Let's start out with verse Mark, Mark 10, verse 17. And as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, you notice he says to inherit eternal life. He wasn't asking about inheriting heavenly life. He's a Jew. He doesn't understand anything about heavenly life. He's talking about inheriting earthly life, eternal life. So Jesus gives him a very logical answer, and he sees that this man is sincere. And so he really gives him the time of day, if you will. He really gives him attention. Verses uh, 18 and 19. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. So Jesus' words, and his words were to follow the law that was already given you, live with honor, live with integrity, and live with respect. You know, our, so he's, he's referring him back to what he already knew, the Old Testament law. God gave the Old Testament law with the promise of live according to this and you will live. So the young man is saying, Master, what do I have to do to have that, 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 that age-lasting life? And, and this is Jesus' response. Our present-day parallel, though, we don't have the Jewish law set out before us you know, for everyone. So what we need to do is we need to live up to the highest God-driven standards available aside from sacrifice. And when we say God-driven standards, Jonathan, we're talking about godly righteousness, godly integrity, uh, godly morality— not what I decide is moral, but what God has decided is moral, okay? Let, let's get back to the response of this rich young ruler to Jesus, because Jesus said to him, obey the law, obey the Jewish law that you've grown up with. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But at these words he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. So Jesus kind of looks at him, and, and Jonathan, you know, my imagination um, takes over when I read these words. Looking at him, Jesus felt the love for him and said, because Jesus knew 
that while he was striving to live up to the law, he wasn't fulfilling the law perfectly. He knew that. But he loved him because he said, well, Master, I've been paying attention to these things, and I've been applying them to my life. And he saw the sincerity in him. And so now Jesus says, okay, let me raise the standard now because you think you've got that all down. Let me show you what it's like to be a footstep follower of me. So he's raising the standard, and he says, okay, one thing you lack. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. This is not about an earthly life anymore. He's saying, okay, if you're telling me that you're, you're doing well on an earthly level, come up higher. Give away the things that you're attached to, and now follow me. See, Again, did, raising the standard. Right. Did Jesus accept him as he was? No. What he did was he loved him as he was, but he showed him how to become acceptable by raising the bar. But it says at these words, he was saddened because he had so much in terms of his own earthly possessions. So this even higher way, divest yourself of all that you hold dear and follow in Jesus' sacrificial footsteps. It was too much for him. What does Jesus now do? Because the man is gone. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With people it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And Jonathan, this reminds me of your story, because here was this young man who had pretty much everything. I mean, he was living a good life, and he was righteous, and he was a good man, and Jesus loved him. But when Jesus offered him something higher, he went away sad because he was too attached. You didn't come from that background. You came from exactly the opposite. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Broken. And worldly, yes. And and that's why he says, with, with people, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So, you know, the the raising of this standard doesn't have to be that, oh, I'm bringing my resume, and boy, Jesus is surely going to be impressed with my resume. Oh, no, not really. You know, (laughs) Jesus doesn't care about your resume. He cares about your heart. He cares about your applying your heart to the discipline of your life to give yourself the opportunity to go up higher. And, you know, divesting yourself. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. The little door in the wall where at night that was the only thing open and they'd have to unload all the stuff off the camel and had to go through this little tiny door on its knees. Humbled and very, very difficult. What's our acceptance observation here for this segment? Well, Rick, it's to be a true follower of Jesus is to divest ourselves of any earthly attachment and instead attach ourselves to Jesus' words. This is the path to true acceptance. Okay, this is the path to true acceptance. Divesting ourselves of our earthly attachments and attaching ourselves to Jesus' words. And again, Jonathan, I don't want to belabor the point, but in your own life, you knew what that was like. Yes. You had to walk away from the... the, Now, look, I know that the stuff you walked away from wasn't anything great, (laughs) <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> but you still had to leave the comfort zone of your previous life to say, I want to be acceptable, therefore I have to change, I have to rise up to a higher level. So based on all of this, a Christian's uh, life 
looks like a really tough challenge. It does. It is all about sacrifice. Yet Jesus said that mercy and compassion are more important. So which is it? As we try to stay on track with research, sometimes you go down unexpected roads. That's part of education, debates, and differing opinions. You just can't take everyone at their word, and oftentimes you have to consider the other side of the story. That's why we're always asking our listeners to give their opinions on the questions we're answering. Message us at ChristianQuestions.com or through the Christian Questions app. Speaking of the other side, time to go in reverse with a CQ Contradiction. See, Jesus did tell us that mercy and compassion are more important than sacrifice. So the question is the same as it always is. Mercy in what way and, and, and what kind of sacrifice was he talking about? It's so easy to get into a war of words about what Jesus said. I mean, and look, Christians do that all the time. But instead of the war of words, let's simply focus on what Jesus meant instead. That's really what we want to go to. Okay, so um, first, before we get into that, before we get into the contradiction, because it's like, you know, there, there's these different pieces you have to o- almost kind of force in to the, to the equation. Let's just go back to that little hymn with those little kids singing that beautiful song that we all love so much, uh, Jesus Loves Me. You know, that's, you learn that as a kid, but man, I just love to listen to it. I don't know. There's something about kids singing that. That's just really, so, really. So sweet. It is really, really powerful. Uh, Tr- uh, Jonathan, we have a comment um, from uh, Trish, our, our comment screener here. So Trish, what can we do for you here today? Well, I have a question. A question. Okay. You know, the scripture says, the scripture says, um, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Okay. And it also says that he was um, sent, it was thought of before the foundation of the world, Jesus. Mm -hmm. So God had to accept us as we were because he planned us when we were sinners. He gave, he so loved us when we were all broken up, when we were all broken, he gave, gave us Jesus. So he had to accept us or love us before. Okay. There is my question. There's your question. Thank you. CQ contradiction. (laughs) Okay, so did God accept us as we are, as we were? That's an important question. We're going to hold that just for a moment. Let's get back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, to set the context for this segment. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. does not take into account a wrong suffered. Okay, so love, this benevolent kind of love, it doesn't take into account a wrong, if you've done wrong to it, and that kind of fits what Trisha was saying. Well, okay, you know, if it doesn't take into account a wrong suffered, uh, then Jesus, God, especially God on God Almighty, must love us just as we are, because God is this kind of love. Is that the case? Well, let's hang on, okay? Let's just hang on. And this verse reminds me of your Uncle Steve as you described him because it, he wasn't provoked to anger. Right. He, he didn't take wrongs done to him and react. Right. He had this solemn 
inner peace that he lived his life with. But you know, he also understood right and wrong. And when there was wrong, he stood up with right. And that's part of the whole equation here. So let's, Jonathan, before we get to Trisha's question and another example of Jesus' words, uh, let's drop in on another area of society. Now we're going to drop in on the world of it's all about me, um, don't cause me any pain, I can't handle things that are not the way I want them to be, that, that, that world. This is going to be a, a quick little on-the-street interview with Mark Dice, uh, Trolling Safe Social Justice Warriors, and he's talking about safe spaces in, in this particular interview. And again, it's going to bring up a few important points about accepting things as they are. Are we supposed to just blindly just accept everything that's put in front of us? Can you tell us what a safe space is? I mean, a place where you're not going to get hurt or ridiculed. And so on a college campus, if there's people with like Halloween costumes that maybe make you feel uncomfortable, does that make it not safe anymore? Yeah, that's, that's not a safe place. So it's, it's not safe at all to be no. just seeing those Halloween costumes? Mm -hmm. So if you saw like a white person wearing like a sombrero, and, and so that'd be, that's not safe? No, because that's, that's ridicule that's being made fun of. It's using that as a caricature. And uh, you're not joking, are you? No. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah, these times have really changed. I can't believe how insensitive these people are these days. Yeah. It's... I mean, wearing these costumes and trying to have fun on Halloween, I'm not sure where they think they can get that idea. No clue. You're still not joking, are still you? Still not joking. Okay. And, Jonathan, you know, again, we don't want to get into a, a debate on this particular point, but let's understand what the, the interpretation is, if you do something that I don't like, it is hurting me. No, they're just doing something you don't like. You know, the idea of wearing a Halloween costume. Now, look, when I was a little kid, I dressed up as Mighty Mouse because I loved Mighty Mouse. I wanted to be Mighty Mouse. That's not ridicule. <laughs> you know? So you got to understand that you, you, you take something that has its, has its basis in just traditional fun activity for a lot of people and you say well I don't like it anymore therefore it is ridiculing therefore it is hurting me and there's a big difference between actually being hurt and having your feelings hurt there's a difference between the two we have to grow up and be able to manage that in life um, but again the idea is the safe spaces are so people can be accepted as they are without having to worry about anything else does God accept us as we are are we in safe spaces as we are when we stand before God? Now, that's a hard question. So let's that see. That is. Um, go ahead. You had something to, to say? No. Oh. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, I did, Rick. I, I, I wanted to remind um, the listeners to sign up for CQ Rewind at ChristianQuestions.com. Hit the newsletter sign up tab and register for CQ Rewind Outline. There's, it's full of graphics and illustrations. It's a topical Bible study, and it puts our comments as you listen along to the podcast with the print to really capture what we're trying to say. And what we're trying to say today specifically is, what are Jesus' words when it comes down to all this stuff? What are we supposed to be doing? What are we supposed to be thinking? How are we supposed to be acting? How are we supposed to be changing? Let's look, because remember, you you asked the, the, the question at the end of the last segment. It's all about sacrifice, okay? But Jesus said mercy and compassion are more important. So which is it? Because it's like it's a contradiction. Is it mercy and compassion or is it sacrifice? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Let's figure that out. Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. 
As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table of the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. Now think about this. Jesus calls a tax collector. These guys were employed by the Roman government and were despised by by Israel. Further, he not only calls this tax collector, uh, who is Matthew, but he goes to his house, and he's surrounded by the dregs of society. So is Jesus going there to hang out with everybody? It's like, hey, it's cool. I can go to your house. I can hang out. We can be friends. Everything's cool. I'll be there. You'll be there. We'll eat together. It's all going to be good. I mean, is that how Jesus is approaching this whole, this whole scenario? Well, typically, Rick, Jesus teaches lessons, God-based lessons on what we need to live like to be acceptable to the Heavenly Father. So if I were to ask you point blank, did Jesus go to hang out with these folks? No, he did not. No. Okay. All right. Now, see, a lot of, a lot of people like to look at it and say, look, Jesus hung out with sinners, therefore. So you're saying, no, he did nope. not. He had a higher purpose. Let's see. Let's see what happens in this, because he's there, he's in the house. Now, we're in Matthew chapter 9. Let's go to verses 11 through 13. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. All right. So Jesus didn't go to Matthew's home to be a part of Matthew's community. No. He went there to show Matthew's community a way to see and live life differently on a higher, more godly plane. That's just what you said before. The Pharisees, who were not part of Matthew's community because they looked upon him as the dregs of society, challenged Jesus' apparent acceptance of these sinners and their lifestyles. And Jesus actually quotes them a prophecy that says, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. So we're going to want to go to where, what was that prophecy about? Why does he quote that prophecy to the Pharisees? There's an important answer to that. But before we go there, just want to touch back on Trisha's question. Because Trish asked, okay, you know, prophetically, the lamb is slain from the foundation of the world, so God must have accepted the world the way it was, so, you know, because it was all pre-planned for. The answer is no. God didn't accept the world the way it was. That's why we needed the sacrifice of Jesus. Because it had to change. It had to be bought back from the way it was. When Jesus went to Matthew's house, and they said, why does he eat with sinners? He said, because they're the ones who are sick. They need to get better. I'm here. I'm going to help them raise their lives up if they'll have me. So it wasn't he was accepting them, Jonathan. It's that he was loving them and showing them how to be acceptable. There's a big, big difference there. So, And I like what Jesus said to the Pharisees, but go and learn what this means. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's a good point. Because they, so why, what was there in that particular phrase that they had to go learn what it means? I desire compassion, not sacrifice. This is a prophecy from Hosea chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. And this is a prophecy being spoken to Israel. We're going to drop in on verse 4 
and then we're going to read parts of verses 4 through 7. What shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as the early dew it goeth away. Therefore have I hewed them by the prophets. I have slain them, and as by the words of my mouth. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. But they, like men, have transgressed the covenant. There have they dealt treacherously against me. So again, he's talking to Israel. Israel was sinning. God was not even beginning to accept them as they were. Now, typically, when you look at it on the surface, Israel could cut back into the favor of God through the rituals and sacrifices of the law. Right, good point. That was an external way to show your, your, your allegiance to God. But God is saying to them, to Israel in the Old Testament, I desire mercy, not the sacrifices. Don't you go bring some animal to me to sacrifice it when your heart is in the wrong place. Because all you're doing is performing a ritual. I am looking for the transformation of your heart so it can be acceptable. You have to change. So heart dedication and compliance and obedience. Not rituals. And it's so important to realize that even in the Old Testament, it was about the man's heart, not necessarily just what he did. Great quote here from Michael J. Fox. Acceptance doesn't mean resignation. It means understanding that something is what it is and that there's got to be a way through it. Okay. There's something you, you accept what it is and then find a way through it. That's what the Old Testament was teaching us. That's what Jesus' words are teaching us. We can't just sit by and say, hey, God called me. He's going to have to take me the way I am. No, he called you because he loves you, and he's going to take you so he can change you. And remember the the earlier question of how much do you love Jesus? Mm. Because if we love Jesus enough, we will follow his words. Okay, so... Let's go and drop in on another set of words of Jesus that are very pointed about what we as Christians should be doing, how we should be living our lives. These following words are right after the Apostle Peter proclaimed Jesus as Messiah. Um, and again, we want to follow Jesus' words here, Luke 9, 21 to 24. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. And he was saying this to them all. Come after me. He must deny himself and take up his cross for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Okay. So what we have here is Jesus talking to them, and he's giving them a sense of, okay, here's what's going to be required of you. Now, if we call ourselves Christians, are we willing to live like this? Are we fighting against our own preferences and um, our own will to be like Jesus? Are we asking him to accept us as we are, or are we seeking to accept him so we can become as he wants us to be? See, Jonathan, it comes down to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Those are his words. That's his command for us to be acceptable. That's what we have to do. If you call yourself a Christian, that's what you got to do. And Rick, I want to take that a step further. 
do we accept our brethren for who they are? And um, we know they make mistakes because they're not perfect. Do we push them away when they do, or do we accept them? Um, do we always have in mind that they are looking out for proper intentions, trying to do the best they can, even if they do make a mistake? How can we expect God to accept us if we don't accept those who he has chosen? And who he is working with to draw towards him. You know, And it's like the spokes on the wheel. Jonathan, you know, we, we may start out on different sides, but if we're getting closer to Jesus, then we're getting closer to each other. We should be, and we need to accept that. That's a really, really important uh, observation here. Let's go to our acceptance observation overall for this particular segment. To many, Jesus appeared to accept people as they were, but in reality, he was loving them so much that he was showing them how to change how to rise above their lives. So it wasn't about accepting them as they were. He loved them as they were. It was about accepting them for what they could be and, and showing them how to get to what they could be. So the bottom line here is that being acceptable to God, being acceptable to God really is no simple matter at all. We really are. So... Do God and Jesus not accept us as we are at all, or do they accept us as we are with certain conditions? Sometimes our questions and commentary can get complicated. That's part of having a thorough discussion. We'd love to hear your opinion. Contact us now at ChristianQuestions.com. Comment through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or our app. Just when you thought we may be figuring this out, let's get more complicated. And Jonathan, you're right, this certainly can become confusing, probably because we live in a time when acceptance of everyone without question is normal and well-adjusted has become a societal requirement, no matter what someone's stance might be. We are here addressing a standard that is higher than individual emotion and preference. And this is not a well-received approach. Why do we take it if it's not well-received? Because to be acceptable to God through Christ, there are standards. And look, bottom line, my life, I do not fit all of those standards. I try really hard, and I fall really short. So I need to change. Am I acceptable to God through Christ as I am? As I try really hard, and, to, and, and I try to wear the robe of Christ's righteousness to cover me, that's acceptable. But what's underneath it? Not so much. We have to realize that it's Jesus' love for us that really does give us the head start so that we can start to change. So let's go back to Jesus Loves Me one more time. Jesus loves me, he who died. And again, there, and I'm doing that purposefully because it's innocent. It's pure. Let's come before Jesus as children and open ourselves up so that he can love us. Because when he loves us, he can then start to change us. So we can grow into acceptability because that's not where we start out. That's for sure. So... Here's a case in point on that. Let's go to Luke chapter uh, 7, verses 36 uh, through 50. 
And but so, right, right before that, I wanted to read First Corinthians thirteen six. Rick, oh yeah, good. Because good, this good. really goes along with your comments. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. And that's that's where that change has to take place. We need to veer away from the unrighteousness. Right. We accept it. So love does not find pleasure, find goodness, find wonderment in unrighteousness. So God doesn't accept us as we are, but that's why Jesus is there. And if we want to be Christ-like, we will learn to try to approach those higher standards. Again, now let's get to the case in point. Thanks for bringing that back because we needed that. Okay, Luke 7, 36 to 50. Let's just start with verse 36 to, to set the, the groundwork here. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So now the Pharisees were of a lot of different approaches. You know, there were a lot of them that stood, you know, in Jesus' face against him. Right. And in this case, even though this Pharisee perhaps did not stand with Jesus and maybe was somewhat skeptical, he invited him in. And so you're saying, okay, well, why did he invite him in? Was he inviting him in to trap him? Was he inviting him in because he's curious? Because maybe he sees something of value, he wants to figure it out? You know, you can't tell, but Jesus does accept the invitation. So now, verses 37 and 38, something very unusual happens during this invitation. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. So you got to think, you know, why would this woman, a sinner, why would she do this? See, because Jonathan, it's it's not that she, I, I don't believe that she would have just seen Jesus for the first time at this point. I think that he had touched her heart already. And this was a great opportunity to humbly thank him. He probably didn't know who she was. She was probably one of those people in one of those big crowds, and he touched her heart, and she was trying to change her life. And now he's in her hometown, and she's like, I have to thank him. He, is, he has done something wonderful for me. He, is, he has changed her heart. The changes started on the inside. And he, he's taken her from the deceitfulness of her own life. And this was her humble way, her humble act of thanksgiving. That... It's That's beautiful. beautiful. It is. It is so touching to see the length that she goes to. Now, again, we're going to drop in on another world here, okay, in the middle of this. This is the world of the, of the, 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 the Christian gospel of abundance. And we're going to hear a little bit from Joel Osteen here. Very, 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 very popular, very articulate, very uh, smart preacher. Listen carefully to how he frames our relationship uh, to God in this very short soundbite. People can love you conditionally. If you do right, perform right, treat me right, then I'll love you. But if you let me down, I'll go find somebody else. But when we make mistakes, God doesn't change his mind. You can run away from God Instead of turning the other way, God will come running towards you. Quit trying to earn this love. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more or any less. It's a gift. 
Just receive it by faith. So, Jonathan, that sounds inspiring. But honestly, I think that's dangerous, and I don't think it's, it's appropriate. Because we are supposed to be working towards being pleasing to God. And if we keep running away from God, he's going to let us go at some point. Because if we don't want him, he'll say, okay, you'll get your resurrection. It'll come around soon enough. I'll let you go for now. So I think that it, it, it gives a false sense of security and a false sense of not having to work very hard. And that is not the Christian way. It just isn't. Does God accept us as we are? No. Does he love us as we are? Unconditionally. But there's much more to it than just that. So let's get back to our example of this woman who comes into this Pharisee's house. Now, she's a sinner. She's got a bad reputation. She comes in, and she, like you were describing, is tenderly washing his feet at the table. Verses 39 and 40 of Luke chapter 7. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. So here we're going to get Jesus' words again. He's gearing up to say something. He actually reads Simon's heart. Simon is the name of the Pharisee. Not to be confused with Simon Peter the Apostle, uh, or Simon the Cyrenian, or, <laughs> or, other or Simon the Sorcerer, or <laughs> very popular name. Uh, he reads Simon's heart and addresses the deficiencies in the heart. He sees that he's making a judgment, saying, well, if this man were what he says he is, then he'd know that this woman touching him is a sinner, and it would be disgraceful to him that she's even touching him because she's a sinner. And that shouldn't be happening, especially in my house. You know, he's, there's, there's a big problem because, Jonathan, traditionally the Pharisees removed themselves from the average person. They lifted themselves into a different category. Now, whether his heart was better than that, he was still one of the Pharisees, and he was in that removal circumstance. And that's how he's thinking what he's thinking. So before we go to Jesus' words, there's a really good quote from Vernon Howard on acceptance. Truth never pleads or compromises or wavers. It invites and awaits your acceptance. See, are we acceptable to God? The truth of the matter is that God tells us, God shows us through Christ what we have to do, what we have to be to become acceptable. And it's our responsibility to rise up to those things. Now, it doesn't mean we become perfect or we become powerful or we become self-righteous. It means that we adopt Christ's righteousness in every aspect of our daily lives. That's how we become acceptable. So now, Simon, the Pharisee, has had a, a, a different perspective here. He thinks that Jesus is missing something, and Jesus is about to show him very gently, very profoundly, what he's missing. So again, we're in Luke chapter 7, verses 41 to 43 teaching through a parable. A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. So Jesus' words lay out the lesson. 
And Jesus commends the Pharisee and his verb uh, and his verbal answer. He says, "Yeah, you got it. You're paying attention. That's good. You're 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 seeing what I'm I'm talking about." Now, just because he knows the right answer doesn't mean, or just because we know the right answer doesn't mean we live by the right answer. Because a lot of Christians can tell you all the right things, but do we do the right things which help us to become acceptable before God? Now, I want to I want to stress that I'm not saying that what you do makes you acceptable. But the attitude of your heart and mind toward God through Christ, the willingness to leave behind sinful things and to cling to righteous things, the willingness to be self-sacrificing, those are what help us to become acceptable to God through Christ. So now let's get back to the story again. Um, turning, um, so let's. So we're we're in in uh, Luke chapter seven. Lost my place here. Sorry, uh, verses forty four to forty seven. So now Jesus has laid out this little parable. Simon is answered like, okay, yeah, I suppose the one who owed more and was forgiven would be the one who loves more because wow, look at look at all you've done for me. Now Jesus gives him a very powerful lesson. I'm going to interrupt you really soon. Turning toward the woman. He said to Simon. Okay, stop right there. He looks toward the woman, but he's talking to Simon. This is powerful because he's looking at her. He's looking at the sinner. But Simon knows that he is being addressed with the, with the answer here. So he knows that the focus of Jesus' comments is on this woman. So you've got a very tense and very profound moment that's about to unfold. Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. So here's the core of the matter. The woman changed her life because of Jesus and is humbled by the change, and she's grateful for the change. The Pharisee uh, is more self-righteous because he's a Pharisee, and by definition, he stands above the people. That's the, where the Pharisees lived. They lived above the people. As a Pharisee, that's what you did. And he's going to be a little bit more skeptical as a result. So who's got the, the, the greater acceptability here? It's the woman. Why? Because she acknowledged her faults and came a long way up a pathway to Jesus. And Jesus looks at her and says, your sins are forgiven. I mean, talk about power in that, in that experience. Think of the, the lesson also of uh, he was, Jesus was treated as a commoner just as the disciples would have been at being fishermen, when he entered this Pharisee's house, he was not treated as an honored guest. Right. And the Lord overruled that this woman would be there for this lesson to make Simon realize, wow, I, he taught this lesson to me and I blew it. I didn't treat him like an honored guest. I treated him like a commoner. And he read my heart. He's, he loves this woman because of, of her repentant heart. What a blessing. She had more uh, forgiven because she was a greater sinner than he trying to be a righteous Pharisee. He loved less because he had less to be forgiven. 
And and you know when you when we say he had less to be forgiven, but in the self righteousness, you got to look at that and say, okay, how much deeper is that? And and how mm. much how much further do you have to go if you're if you're thinking about, hey, I've got less. I mean, there's this there's this depth of humility that's really profound here. So let's just read the the last couple of verses here, and then we've got a a, a, a listener comment that we want to get to. So verses forty eight to fifty. Then he said to her, "Your sins have been forgiven." Those who were reclining at the table began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So that's a culmination of a changed life, not of, of just one act of washing his feet and everything's good. So uh, Trish is back. Hello, Trish, you're back. I am. And what have you got for us? Okay, this is a comment from the uh, chat, which is a great scripture. goes right along what you all are saying. It says, this is Ephesians 2, 3 through 6. Um, it says, we were by nature children of wrath, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So he loved us so much, he provided a way to raise us up from the state of death to aliveness in Christ. Okay. Good comment. Thanks. So, Jonathan, it, it, it puts it in perspective. Another scripture that says, even while we were dead, look, you're not acceptable to God while well, you're dead. You're dead. Okay. <laughs> sin. You're dead as a result of sin. But the point here is that even in that state, God loved us so much, he provided a method for acceptability through Jesus. And the bottom line is, folks, we have to change. We have to change. Every single one of us have to have the idea of change first and foremost in our heads day after day after day. And whether you come from this background or that background, whether you have this tendency or that tendency or this desire or that desire or, or this habit or that habit, does not matter. The question is, how much do you love Jesus? How much are you willing to follow his footsteps by following his words? What is our uh, acceptance observation for this segment? Our acceptability grows in the sight of God as we grow in the sight of God. And you, now, now that, that growth, again, you've got to be careful because you don't want to walk down the road of saying, well, I've got this under control because I'm just going to go grow and everything will be good and I will be acceptable to God. It's not about me. It's about Christ in you the hope of glory it's not well because rick is rick there's hope of glory not no it's not not even remotely close it's christ in you the hope of glory it's the ability to have christ likeness take over what your will has been and boy jonathan i don't know about you but i struggle with that every 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 day absolutely Hey, just a side note on that parable. When she was anointing his feet, the literal Greek word is balsam. The word balsam um, is very expensive, beyond the price of gold. And they used to anoint kings with balsam. And how appropriate that Jesus was anointed uh, from this woman of a contrite heart. And and really is. And and I never knew that before. And And, you know, the fact that it was so expensive, and you were telling me before, it's even more expensive than gold. Yes. Well, that's incredible. That's really something. So, so you know, Jonathan, as we, as we focus on this whole idea of being acceptable before God, it looks like we're narrowing down what 
being acceptable to God really actually means. We are, but let's be clear. What happens to our habits, preferences, and tendencies? How much of our old selves can we keep? If we asked Rick, Jonathan, and the CQ Contribution team to answer our topical questions in five minutes or less, rather than in several chapters over 90 minutes, they'd probably get a little stressed out. Plus, they love painting that bigger picture by looking at several real-world media perspectives, historical facts, and scripture. That's why some answers may come quickly. But we love taking a look at the bigger questions that aren't so easy. So, Jonathan, here is the bottom line. To continue in an acceptable state with God and with our Lord Jesus, we have to continue work to work at rooting out all habits, preferences, and tendencies that do not provoke or promote godliness. That's a tall order. But remember that we are judged on our sincere efforts and not on our results. Thank God for that, Rick. Yeah, amen, brother. <laughs> you know, and, and that means so much because how often do we you know, pull it together and say, okay, this time I'm not going to fall. This time, um, by God's grace, I'm going to walk that, a few extra steps. And then we fall down again. And you get up and you're miserable and you go before God and you ask for your forgiveness and, and, and you claim the promises and, and, and you get up and, you know, and that happens again. It's, it, God looks at the heart and says, oh, my son, I see you and your heart is so very acceptable. Come closer. It's the heart, Jonathan. It really is the heart. And because it's the heart, let's go one last time to You Know What, that little children's song that just touches everybody's heart. Oh, yeah, I love it. Adorable. You know, and again, there's there's something valuable in that childlike, enthusiastic, yes, Jesus loves me. But as an adult, we have to take that love and say, what am I supposed to do with it? How do I make that love, have, have that love transform me into something that's more acceptable before God through Christ? That's and Rick, one of the most favorite lines, I think, in this study is, how much do you love Jesus. Right, right. That really changes perspective. Right. And again, Jesus didn't hang out with sinners. He wasn't on a par with sinners. He wasn't sinners' best friends. He wasn't their buddy. No, he was there as their physician to help them, to heal them, to raise them up. Let's not forget that. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things and if that's not a picture of jesus himself i don't know what is with that benevolent love and rick our listeners need to really grab hold of cq rewind the full edition go to christianquestions.com hit the newsletter sign up tab and it is a wonderful outline with graphics illustrations it really makes the points in our pop, uh, our topical bible study 
and it is a free service. It's a free service. It's easy to subscribe. If you don't like it for some reason, you can unsubscribe with the click of a button and nobody will ever bother you again. So CQ Rewind, the full edition, sign up now if you don't already have it. It's a great, great service, like you said. Okay, so what does God, because here's, here's what you said at the end of the last segment. Okay, what happens to our preferences and our tendencies and our habits and all of that? How much of our old selves can we keep? I mean, this is an important question. So what does God expect of us as followers of Christ? I think there's, there's four things that we want to end up with here. First is we need to claim the assets that are set before us so we can rise above. And, and Rick, when, when I read that in preparing for uh, the podcast, what, what do you really mean by assets? I really want to get my head wrapped around it. Yeah, well, Claim the assets set before you to rise above. Well, you know, the, an asset is something that's of value to you. You know, a liability is something that, that can hurt you or, or pull you back. An asset can help move you forward. Now, most, a lot of times people look at assets like money, but assets are bigger than that. So claim the things that have been given to us to help us move forward, to help it, the handholds, the, the, the lifeline, however you want to put it, those things that are in our lives that God has provided for us so we can take the steps necessary. The assets that we're going to look at are started out in this first reading from 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to start out with verses 3 and 4. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. It is a great asset to be given precious, magnificent promises by God. See, because when God says something, when God does something, that's it. It's said. It's done. And if it says he has given us a great, these precious and magnificent promises so we can become partakers of divine nature— Jonathan, there's no greater asset that we can hold on to. How about this promise? Be thou faithful unto death, and thou will receive a crown of life. That means you were loved first. You work through your life through sacrifice. Be faithful unto death and become acceptable to God. And he shows that acceptability with the crown of life. That's how, wow. it's, that's how it's done. <laughs> you know, it says it escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Our lust defines our sinful state. Now, lust is not just, I mean, people think of lust and you think of sexuality all the time. The word for lust here is bigger than that. It, it, it certainly includes that, but it's, it's all of the deep desires that we have that pull us this way or that way that can take us away from a higher way, the, the spiritual way. So the first point, the first uh, acceptability exercise is to claim the assets set before us so we can rise above. What is the second? Um, actually, let, let me let me read this because there's a misprint on this. Okay, the second the second point here is to apply ourselves to a higher standard for a life cum, cum, uh, culminating in the exercise of benevolent love. Let me say it again: apply ourselves to a higher standard for a life culminating in the exercise of benevolent love. We want to work our way up to a life that culminates in living that love that we've been talking about from 1 Corinthians 13. So let's go to verse, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 now, verses 5 through 7. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge 
self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. Okay, so we've got these several pieces for this very reason. For what reason? Well, for the reason that we have been given these precious and magnificent promises that can bring us to divine nature, we need to apply these things in our lives. Apply uh, diligence in your faith. You have to have moral excellence. Moral excellence, not just morality. See, there's a big difference between morality and moral excellence. God, it's acceptable to God to have moral excellence. It is not acceptable to God to just have some kind of morality. Because that's too subjective. God is not a subjective God. He's clear. He's objective. Have moral excellence. Have knowledge. What kind of knowledge? Scriptural knowledge. Spiritual knowledge. You don't need to know what's on the back of somebody's baseball card, although I might know a few of those. But <laughs> <laughs> you need to have that, that, that higher spiritual knowledge. Need self-control, self-restraint. And Jonathan, that's what's lacking in our world today. We need perseverance, the ability to, to plow through and keep going even when you don't feel like it. This is where acceptability to God comes from. Godliness, brotherly kindness, that's a different kind of love. It's that fraternal kind of love that, hey, I'm in the foxhole next to you. I've got your back. You've got mine. And then finally, the highest form of love. And, and Jonathan, um, one other point here is that you know God's spirit, is what gives us the ability to be able to accomplish these things. It's not because we're so smart. It's not because we're so great. It's not because we're so disciplined. It's because our desire is to serve God, and he gives us his spirit, and that helps us to be able to put things in perspective and in order. You're right. Without his power and influence working in us, we would be helpless, Rick. Yeah, yeah. And, and so does God accept us as we are? No, 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 no. Not even close. Does he love us as we are? Oh, yes more than we can ever, ever fathom. But do not confuse God's love for us with God's acceptance of us. Because God's, God did, did so love the world that he gave his son Jesus. The world will have their opportunity. We've got ours now. And by God's grace, we can become acceptable. So first, claim the assets set before you to rise above. Second, apply yourself to higher standards for a life that culminates in the exercise of that benevolent love. What's the third point on the things that we hold on to and the things we leave behind? Well, Rick, it's live the evidence of a godly character. For this to be, we must continually keep ourselves in check. All right. That's not an easy one. Continually keep ourselves in check because we have to have evidence in our lives of a godly character. You know, you can't claim the name of Christ and then do what everybody else does every day and, and, and use the language that everybody else uses and, and tell those the, the off-color jokes that everybody else tells. That's not—you're you're not living that higher life. Our life should be a reflection of godly character. Now, it's not going to be perfect, but it needs to be improving. Judge yourself so you won't be judged. Yeah, there you go. It takes work. It, it takes work. It does. It really does. Second Peter chapter 1, let's go to verses 8 and 9 for this point. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Again, purification from your former sins. Does God accept us as we are? 
No. Does he accept us when we put on the, the, the Christ's righteousness? Yes. But if we start to live outside of Christ's righteousness, we fall into that no category again. You got to start it and stay with it and continue to rise above. Evidence godliness in your everyday life. That doesn't mean you have to preach to everybody you come across. But you should truly come across as somebody honorable and respectful and full of integrity. And when people leave your presence, they ought to be thinking, wow, that was, that was a good person. That's all. That, that's, that's, that's all it takes. That's all it takes. Point four. Flourishing in your new and living approach to your life, for this is how we are acceptable to God. Okay, so you claim the assets, we apply ourselves, we live the evidence, and then flourish. See, once the growth and the change starts to really work in your life, and, and, and Jonathan, you know, I didn't know you long before, but I knew you very soon after you, 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 you made the change. That's right, that's you, right. You know, and I can honestly and truly say, I, when, I, when I first met you, you, you and I had this connection, the, the, this the first time we ever met. Absolutely. And, but, but I will say, and, and folks, and this is an important thing to say, I, I remember you then and I see you now and I see a different man. I see a man who's worked really hard, who sometimes falls and gets up again and again and again. And that is such an example. Are you perfect? Oh, heck no. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> but, but do I absolutely... Just ask my wife. <laughs> <laughs> but do I absolutely love who you have become? Yes, because you're working at that acceptability to God through Christ. And, and Jonathan, that's what this is about. We have to fight off what we were to continually strive to what we can be. Great quote here from Cyril Falls. Leadership is uh, particularly necessary to ensure ready acceptance of the unfamiliar and that which is contrary to tradition. Okay. Another part of acceptability to God is to learn how to lead others toward God in, in, our, in, our, in our lives. I don't think we read verses 10 and 11 of Second uh, Peter chapter 1. I think I skipped over that. I think you're right. I think I forgot too. That's okay. <laughs> Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. As long as you practice these things, you won't stumble. You've just got to hold on to it. So, so Jonathan, I want to go back to Joel Olstein one more time, okay, because I want to make the point the really important point of us striving toward God and not assuming God is going to just be chasing after us no matter what we do. When you start seeing yourself as his favorite, you'll go to him with confidence. You'll pray bold prayers. You'll ask him for your dreams. You'll believe for your health to turn around. You'll expect new doors to open, not because of who you are, but because of who your father is. You know he'll go out of his way to be good to you. Now, Jonathan, there's a fundamental difference in how we look at Christianity here. What he is suggesting, and I listened to his whole sermon, okay, so I'm not taking this out of context. What he is suggesting is you assume that you're God's favorite, you know, one of God's favorite children, and you can ask him pretty much anything that your heart desires, and he's going to open up your dreams for you. Folks, no, he's not. He's going to open up his will for you 
if you're willing to follow it. And oftentimes his will does not equal our dreams. But what's most important? How much do you love Jesus? Are you willing to follow his words? That's what's most important here, not the other way. Amen. So our acceptance observation here is what, Jonathan? Our acceptability to God is never accomplished by doing things our way and is always accomplished by submitting to God's will as we follow Jesus Christ. Okay, it's not our way, it's Jesus' way. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? So, I mean, folks, you, you've heard the phrase, let sleeping dogs lie. Sure. sure. I, I want to suggest the phrase, let our dead will remain buried. <laughs> okay. <Good> Don't <laughs> disturb it. If you've pronounced it dead, let it stay dead. You don't want to have one of like those, those zombie-type movies where you see the hand coming up out of the grave. Like, ah! I mean, that's what our Get old... Back, back. <laughs> it's, this, it's this hideous thing that we have buried. Keep it that way. Let's finish the verse. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we also will be in the likeness of his resurrection. So, Jonathan, that really puts the icing on the cake, so to speak. We've been buried with him. Acceptability to God comes through Jesus, and it comes through our willingness to be buried with him. We cannot hold on to whatever was while we strive for what God wants us to be. Folks, it's a choice choose acceptability choose christ likeness be willing to let go of what you feel like you are and how you have to define yourself to find yourself in god through christ find yourself in a new will a new way a higher integrity that is spiritual so we can bring praise honor and glory to god our father and to jesus our lord for jonathan and rick and christian questions we hope you've enjoyed being with us today we've certainly enjoyed being with you And remember, our acceptability to God comes through Christ. Work it. Think about it. And folks, remember, we love hearing from our listeners. Let us know what you thought about today's topic. Suggest future topics. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com. Download our app. Search Christian Questions in your app store. We'll be back next week.